more than a few episodes on this feed. Um, it is a middle-of-the-road podcast, but I am going to start looking at the decade's best movies um, as I build towards a decade's best list that I personally will make of my 100 favorite movies of the last 10 years. Um, we might do different... Most episodes will probably focus on one movie. Uh, we'll have... They'll probably all be kind of one-on-one-ish um, instead of a big team of four. Solo Bolos? Solo Bolos. I've had its grant grants come back for another podcast. Uh, so stay quiet in this part, I guess. No, it's okay. Um, you can chime in whenever you like. I won't yell at you. The, But I also have some ideas to maybe do... Um, a couple of filmography bits down the line. Like, I think uh, Damien Chazelle's three movies of the decade would be a great conversation to have. And I think you could argue maybe all three of his movies deserve to be in the top 100. You have not seen... Have you seen First Man, Grant? I have not. Okay. You've seen La La Land and Whiplash, though, right? Yes, and I agree with those two, definitely. Okay. Uh, First Man, so fucking underrated. It's going to make my... It's going to make the top 100 just because I'm going to be spiteful that that movie was just basically lost and forgotten. What's dumb is it was like my most anticipated movie going into the year. Uh (laughs) And then then just the way things worked out, I was like, oh, I should take my son to that. And then like the week we went and tried, it went out of theaters. Oh, and It's so good. It's on my voodoo. You can watch it with him at home. Mm -hmm. Um... It's so good. Uh, but um, there's a couple other people we can do that with. Um, I think, I don't know if anybody besides, I don't think Spielberg has four movies that I'd probably consider, but he'd be the only person I think that had four four plus movies that might be be in that running. Uh, PTA is going to have three. Tarantino, I'm assuming he's going to have three Ooh. after Once Upon a Time in uh, <laughs> Hollywood this year. Rolling the dice a little bit, but I think yeah. it's a pretty safe bet. <laughs> well, Leo's going to look handsome in it. We know that. Um, but, yeah, so this is going to be What about an the experiment. Uh, decade what? of Oscar Isaac? There's, there, this is, that, that would be a good conversation. We are all living we, in we the decade give of some Oscar decade Isaac. awards out at the end. <laughs> so the should end I have not have said it like five seconds into the first podcast? <laughs> <laughs> that, who's, up, I mean, I don't know. That's a that's a real good pick. He's got Star Wars under his belt. He's got Drive. Machina, Annihilation. Drive. I mean, he's going to be in a lot of the movies I'm talking about. That's for sure. But to start this off we're going to just be talking about one movie and while we'll have some conversations where i might need some convincing to um get on that list like i just rewatched um attack the block over the last couple days Mm -hmm. um because i saw joe cornish's new movie um the kid who would be king who which was a fine very fine movie it's a little long a little slow um, but it's got a good message, and it's much more of a kid's movie than Attack the Block is. Um, but I definitely was... I, I gave like Attack the Block a solid B+. Plus oh, I thought you in, liked it more than that. That's funny. I, well, I thought it... I I do like it more than that. It's uh, the, it, That's what my rating was sitting at, and I'm fucking crazy for thinking that. <laughs> that movie is so... you know. Well, I won't get into it, because I'm trying to convince someone to go talk to me about that one. Uh, but stuff like that. We might be having conversations where 
I want to be convinced. I'm definitely going to give the floor to some of my co-hosts to pitch movies they think should their favorite movies of the decade that I might not feel the same way on. Um, you're going to, if you want to really listen to a slang of a podcast, it will be when John and I discuss, um, fuck, what's the name of that movie? Me, um, Earl, and the Dying Girl? Oh, yeah, you, uh... I didn't, I do not like that movie. <laughs> you, you can, did you like that movie? I liked it, yeah, you, you did. That movie? Yeah, I, 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 I'm kind of on the outside with that movie, but, yeah. I don't know. Do you are do you have those big turnarounds ever where you watch something? Yes. I mean, um, Dunkirk did that happen? Dunkirk, it did happen. Dunkirk's like a solid A movie for I me. I was now. hoping that would happen. Cause I, was like, I just don't see how Zach does not love this movie. It's, it's and you incredible. can you can you could go look at the website and I wrote well over a thousand words about why I thought that movie was terrible and just read my like I was like I'm not going to get into Zach with all these different points. He just needs to watch it again. <laughs> um, yes. I, I am fully on board with that movie. Once I was not confused with the timeline. It's not even that confusing, but... I, I, I wasn't going to say anything. Whole another conversation. This one will not be... I do not need any convincing for this movie. And it is legit confusing. <laughs> and it is very, very... <laughs> I still don't have a full grasp on this movie. Um, and that movie is Upstream Color. Shane Carruth's only entry this decade, sadly. Um, it came out in 2013, I believe. Uh, that is correct. It is his second film uh, after Primer, which was a sci-fi, extremely low-budget darling. And this is... I was looking at um, the stats on Letterboxd, um, and this is the movie I've watched the most since 2013. Ooh. Um, six times, so I basically watch this movie once a year. And same day or year, right? This is roughly the time of year. It, well, it came out at Sundance at 2013. It was a surprise. I don't think. I guess there were some trailers, but it was pretty pretty quickly like, oh, Shane Carruth made a new movie that nobody knew about, or nobody was talking. I mean, sure, a couple of people nobody knew was about coming, it, but it, yeah, I had not heard about it, and I have my ear to those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And then it got. The people that I listened to said it was fucking fantastic. And then, I actually, he brought it to San Francisco for a screening, a local screening, um, before the release. Because he self-released um, this movie in theaters. And I think that was like in April. But just a couple of weeks after Sundance, I got to see it uh, at a screening. And I was blown away. And I continue to be blown away. Uh, this movie will be in my top ten, no problem. Maybe even my top five. Ooh. Um, so, I just... I wanted to start off with a movie that I can just gush about. And it's also a movie that has a lot to talk about. But um, I'm... You know my stance. And I'm going to let Grant take the floor here. And tell us what he thinks, and if he thinks I'm crazy or not for thinking this movie should be in the best 100 movies of the last 10 years. Well, I don't know how uh, good your memory is going back, but that was also my movie of the year that year, in 2013. Um, I'm not sure. I have not looked back. I've, I'm sure I had not seen all the movies that I wanted to that year at the time, so maybe mm -hmm. it would not be if it was now. But... I think I just had to also put it in that status just because of 
how in a, innovative it was and there's not much, another movie like this how much it blew me like, away it just it's yeah it's incredible and so yes i i agree that it is def- definitely deserves to be in the, the top 100 of the decade <laughs> no and i i think um uh, definitely in the top 40 is what i'm gonna go with 40. now top 40 definitely right. <laughs> <laughs> no keep going tell tell us what do you what i mean outside uh, Carruth did like everything on this movie. He wrote it. He soundtrack, um, great soundtrack. Did the sound the soundtrack is amazing. I still use it, listen to it all the time. He shot the movie. He edited the movie. Do you know who the other editor on this movie is? Is it his mom, the orchid farmer? <laughs> no, no, it is David Lowry of Oh uh, uh, yeah, nice. story. Uh, you know, I did hear that actually because after uh, there's an interview with David Lowry and he's talking about mm-hmm. his his work with Shane. That's right. David Lowry, another candidate for some multiple movies. I'm just putting that out there. You haven't seen Old Man and the Gun yet, have you? I have seen Old Man and the Gun. You, you oh. put that in the top hundred of the decade. Well, I don't know. It's I I really it's gonna probably be in my top ten this year, which means it'd have to be considered. Yeah, I I really liked I really liked so. it. I, I was very, very smitten for it, and I think it could jump up even more on a second viewing. But, um, no, that and a ghost story. A ghost story is definitely going to be in the conversation. Yeah, but, ghost uh, story yeah. is the better work, but... Uh... Yes, I don't... No disagreement there. But, uh, yeah, Upstream Color. So, Kruth did all of these things, and he handles them... He's also the, the co-lead, though he's definitely second banana in the movie to um, Amy Simet's uh, Chris, I believe. Uh, yes, Chris and Jeff, who are a couple that meet by some. We're gonna we're gonna go full spoilers in this, but you can tap out after this brief thing if you are intrigued enough to go watch it after all of our praise. But um, they end up falling for each other, but their connection is full of many sci-fi trappings that brought them together potentially, and we can hash out some of that as well if we uh, figuring out the movie. But um, is there anything else that sticks out to you why this this movie needs to be on this kind of list? I think that it is contemplative in a mm-hmm. way that you just don't see. And that's the cinematography that is not really there in Primer. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I don't know how he taps into this, but mm-hmm. it is just one of the most visually stunning movies that I've seen. And like maybe it's not a good idea to do everything yourself like that because it makes you not want to make another movie for 10 years or something. I, I mean, that's the reason why we only got one movie from him. I mean, is he is a little bit too controlling and he is great at that. But like everything I hear from directors conversations that I've listened to is that learning to give over and trust other people with things is what actually makes you even better. Oh yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, he he let someone else edit the movie with him, but I understand why he let that guy edit this movie because that guy is a borderline brilliant person as as well, I think. I No proof of him being brilliant back then though, right? N- n- I I don't think Ain't Them Body Saints was out yet, but I mean, the guy obviously knew what he was talking yeah. about. Um yeah, what I agree wholeheartedly there. I think uh David Ehrlich Describe the movie as filmmaking 2.0 in that the way he 
scenes last third i mean it's so quick and fast and he gives you so much information and just trusts you that you're gonna keep up yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll flash a visual and that's mm-hmm. gonna represent so many different things that are going on along with yes. the, the dialogue from another scene that is still ongoing mm-hmm. the i mean the movie's almost in montage for half the movie it feels like and a spiritual sequel to the rocky <laughs> but it never feels slight it never feels like you're not you're just surface glazing over these people's lives and everything there's there's a richness to the characters and i think that i mean caruth is fine in the movie i would say the 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 weakest element of his abilities is his acting ability um but he is by no means bad he is he's good in this movie i think Simets though, I think as as time's gone on, I, like she breaks my heart in this movie. Mm-hmm. She definitely has the heavy lifting. It's it's crazy yes. that she has I mean, not, uh, I don't know, picked, been you know brought into larger projects since then. She she's she's in she was in the last Alien. She's she's actually doing pretty good for herself. Great. Um, Her show actually she does she did an adaptation of the Girlfriend Experience. Yeah, I did see uh, that. She she's like a big creative force behind that too. She directs half the episode. The, I have not seen the second season yet. The first season was actually quite excellent, but she has also been. She was in the last Alien movie. Uh, she was in this Lean on Pete movie that from last year that was pretty good. She's been steadily working for a while, um, and she's she's got the lead in a new horror movie next year, Pet Cemetery remake. That's probably her biggest profile thing since the Alien Covenant movie, but. Um, I love her in this movie and her journey is all the technical stuff aside her her journey throughout this movie is just riveting as she's she's taken advantage of for her money as she gets hypnotized with the worm do we already start spoiling is that yeah we can start spoiling Uh, the worm (laughs) flower cycle whatever you want to call it uh that allows her to be manipulated by the thief quote-unquote thief in the movie i mean getting into the details of it all i mean it's a sci-fi movie about flowers pigs mind control uh mind melding uh uh, it's it's a crazy crazy movie that isn't it's trying to explain it doesn't make any sense you just have to experience it but um her yeah her journey from this victim of theft to being damaged and not being able to find a relationship to discovering that this this worm that was inside her probably caused her to become barren and can't have children and to finding closure ultimately in the end but she also murders the wrong person to gain that closure and she's also murdering someone to gain that closure did she murder the wrong person zach I don't know. Didn't she? I mean, he didn't do. He, I don't know. He didn't do uh, anything, Zach. He was a watcher. Uh huh. He's a little voyeuristic. Taking advantage of the situation. They did not. Caruth not showing him watching people have sex though is a, a step that I, I feel like, like he would have taken if he was supposed to be a perv. Um. Do we, but do we want to? <laughs> do we want to launch right into the sampler here? Yeah, yeah let's, let's talk, talk about, about the sampler. sampler. I mean, he. Uh, I'll briefly, the sampler extracts these worms from all the victims of the thief who are drawn to him by music that he's created. And this is actually, 
this is an idea he kind of carried over ish from that um the script for a topiary which was the movie he was trying to get made after primer steven soderbergh was going to produce it too that would have been something else but uh so all of these disparate people the people who find the flowers aren't connected with the people who the, find the worms that have the mind control ability that are coming from the farm somehow uh, um, who are you yeah. yeah i think the people that are still listening have already seen the movie <laughs> because yeah that's true <laughs> but but him collecting the worms allows him to see into the lives of the people he extracted them from. The film doesn't amaze. Actually, the sequence where he first, they show him doing that. It's like a montage of him peeking in on all these people's lives. Is mm-hmm. It's a great amazing. editing trick that, they, oh, yes. that they, he goes back to again and again. Is just yeah. he, he walks up to the pig and then boom, you're in the room. You're in the hospital mm-hmm. room. You're in the you're in the dining room with the argument. It's. I think you could argue it's the most impressive filmmaking of the movie outside of like the operatic finale of the movie, which is just driven by the music. Every, it just, everything's working perfectly at the end of that movie as um, Chris goes to murder. Mm-hmm. Should use that uh, trick again in the, the climax. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's all, but then, the, but all the, that montage that you get you first with him builds and sets up the ending to work the way it is without having to, you don't have to be retold anything. You already understand from this extended montage where you see him look at 10 to 15 people's lives that perfectly sets up the ending and that the ability for him to tell the way that story, the way they do without explaining anything really. Um, even explaining how, because Chris and Jeff are manipulating him in some way. I think that is actually one of the more interesting things that I haven't really wrapped my head around. They've kind of find a way to reverse engineer because they, they deceive, deceive him. him. So they how do you know. think that Jeff is deceiving him at the end there? They're clearly blocking. They're, they're blocking how, what Chris is doing somehow. So she must be, she's a, well, I guess she's just there because she's connected to Jeff essentially. Um, she's there because she's in the, the pig farm. Well, that's true. But I mean, she's in the vision that he we're seeing him in this abandoned building with Jeff and Chris, but I'm saying she's not, I don't think she's doing any of the projecting. I think Jeff is doing, he's the one counteracting things while Chris is, she's able to experience because of her connection to Jeff because of their pig relationships. Not the way I read it, but you know, Oh, go ahead. What is your reading? Oh, just that, you know, he's, he's sampling from, he's sampling from Jeff. And uh-huh. Chris, you know, spies on him doing it. She comes up. She's going to kill him. And so she gets close to Jeff's pig. And then she's there in the room with him, too. And then he's mm. suddenly... Okay. So he's, he thinks that Chris is actually in Jeff's world. And not until she looks looks him directly in the eye. And he does he realize, oh, shit, she's he's in my world. Next, he's standing right next to her. Uh-huh. Okay. okay. Oh, I like that. It shakes him hard. It's awesome. Um, no, that's a great interpretation of it. I totally can roll with that. I think we're going to have a lot of that because <laughs> there's there's a lot of ways that a lot of things can be interpreted. Yeah. I, I, I could just pour phrase all over this, but since we're talking about the sampler, I think the film's weirdest scene are the weak, I, I guess, not weirdest, 
Definitely not the weirdest. Uh, that's all. We can give an award out for. I'm gonna make a note of that. Weirdest scene of upstream color. But the sampler. I would say that my least favorite moment of the movie is when the sampler observes, stays with one couple, one person for an extended period of time, and we get a little short story within the story, and. We're watching, I guess, I'd like to hear your interpretation on this as well. We see a scene replay. The guy's, the the male person in this relationship is replaying, like, this last moment he had with his girlfriend slash wife before she overdosed and does die, I believe, mm-hmm. um, over and over in his head. And I, I get it's showing his, the ability to, see what's going on in this mind not just what's the person's mind not just what's happening around to them uh he's not just like an omniscient viewer of the action he is actually seeing whatever this guy's thinking as he sits at the the bed of the empty bed of his now deceased wife in the hospital i i feel like the the I, the idea that it's conveying of the ability of his powers is hits home with you well before the scene ends and again it's incredibly interesting and ballsy to put like this whole other story with these two characters for three or four five minutes however long it is into the middle of the movie but it is the one thing that feels a little disparate and separate from the story as a whole outside the little bit of detail you gain on the sampler's powers. I think that scene is important because it sets up his motivation. Mm-hmm. It sets up why the sampler is doing this. Why, why have this system of, you know, spying on people and mm-hmm. keeping these pigs that you seem to detest. Why, why, why is he doing it? And he's, he's doing it for his art. He's doing it to, to create, to, to make so is he music. writing the music to soothe him or do you think he's writing the music he's using these experiences to inspire him? yes how did you that that you to go with that interpretation yeah yeah um because he sits down and part of me thinks like he wants to make this music to but i guess that he can't really as far as we know he can't send towards these people he can just observe them he doesn't he doesn't care about them it's all about taking their emotional pain and and creating art from it mm. Yeah, which it's an interesting concept, but mm-hmm. I have a feeling that the the good people making rock slide music down corrugated pipes <laughs> are not the type that are stricken with a lack of creativity and poetry. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe I mean it would have been maybe less cinematic, but could have him like a, a writer who was a network writer battling demands of a publisher or something. I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. well. It allows for the cycle. I mean, it is a little plotty because the music, the music allows for this, this circle of whatever we want to call this between. But the music is a little bit outside because if you're gonna look at the core, what's what's causing this these everybody's abilities, whether it is the the sampler's ability to look at these people into these people's lives or the thief's ability to control these people. You have the pigs are the source of this power. Mm-mm. Worms, would man. You say, would you agree with that? Oh, the, I see. The, the, well, it's the the pigs are the the chicken before the egg. Like the pig comes first. It could be a different animal, but it 
the guy yeah. chooses Wh- whatever whatever the worm has. But I guess it's the, the worm, worm needs right? a host. Yeah, the worm needs a host. But but the the babies the pigs that kill him that create new blue flower that the pigs that he kills are the piglets of Chris and Jeff's pigs. So mm-hmm. technically, they don't have the worm in them, but they have something. Uh, something, something of their ability is has been passed on to them I because suppose. they're passing that on to the flower, which then the grubs get from their yeah. It's not important, but it's it's interesting. That whole cycle is a bit separate from whatever the sampler is doing with the music. Or maybe Chris and Jeff only able are are they able to connect with the music because they've heard the music through their pigs? Is it as simple as that? I think so. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that's how she tracks them down. Yeah, not over. I mean, but nobody else was able to track them down. You know why? Yeah, it's and it seems like if you watch, it's it's all about Chris. Chris is driving the investigation, and Jeff's mm-hmm. kind of along. He's like, oh yeah, you're, yeah, it does kind of. Yeah, she is definitely connected more. But did you? Um, there's a subtle there's a subtle there's a subtlety I don't think the over, the overall theme of her being taken advantage of obviously isn't subtle but I guess it never really hit me that until the last time I watched it that she feels like she might have been sexually assaulted as well which might mm. be driving her which she doesn't know she's not sure but when she's in the car she definitely like checks herself out to see if something happened, because she has no idea what has happened to her over the last however many days. She doesn't even know, at that moment, she doesn't even know how long right. she's been unconscious. I wonder if that trauma, her 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 confusion around that level of trauma is maybe what allows her to touch into this world that these other people who are clearly here and have been taken advantage of by the thief... It allows her to make that jump. I don't know. It could also just be, I could tell you, in a topiary script that he wrote, There's he's definitely playing with the idea in the beginning of that movie that there's these things. These things are there in the world, but just not everybody happens to see them. It could be as simple as that. You know, like, they never listen to the music. They never... Is this yeah. transcendentalism? Is that what this is? I, I don't know. <laughs> it's not for me. <laughs> Well, we can, we'll get back into transcendentalism later with Walden. Oh, there you go. Um, do you want to talk about Walden in the pool? Because that's the most opaque thing to me. Is that what you're really. going to pick for the what the hell scene? <laughs> um, I mean, yes. I mean, I mean, it makes sense in that this text is locked into all these people's brains because they were it was used as a tool of control. But why? Yeah, why I would the thief understand. pick that that book? Mm-hmm. Why would why would Caruth pick that book? Yeah, and also like what's going on with the flower underwater? Like yeah, she grabs. Uh, yeah, I don't. The flower, I think, is just the orchid, right? Yeah, it's a symbolic thing of the orchid and the color. He's he says there's something to do with the orange versus the blue. As far as I know, he's never really explained the difference there. Mm-hmm. But her, she feels in control once that orange, you know. That's the breakthrough moment. The yeah. orange is in her life. They paint all of the new pig pen stuff orange. Oh, nice. Uh, Did not well. notice that. I love those final shots of the pigs, <laughs> too, by the way. That's how I, I sent a picture of that moment um, to Grant to let him know that I had rewatched and was ready to talk about it again. Just holding they, your pig up in the just, air. Just, just warms my little heart, <laughs> little piggies. Little pig heart. 
Shane Carruth apparently hated them too. He was more like the sampler. Oh. I, I just he he hated filming them. Apparently right. they're a giant pain in the ass. So. Like, he's like <laughs> trying to get a shot and they're like ramming into his leg or something. <laughs> um so we've talked about the small cast. There's not a lot to um I don't know. Do you have more to say about Simitz or Andrew Sensing, who plays a sampler or Caruth, or do you think we gave them a fair shake? Yeah, um, I think we're good on that. I, I think okay. mostly what I have is just um... yeah. What 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 about this movie are you afraid people would miss? Like, what is the secret little sauce of this movie that sticks with you that isn't the big obvious? stuff like we've been mentioning the filmmaking and Simon's performance and just the utter originality of the plot. Is there anything else that really stands out to you? I think one thing amazing that Kruth does is he makes a challenging movie that just masterfully scatters these puzzle pieces around as the movie's going. And you're never, you never I, I never gave up, mm-hmm. and he just keeps keeps giving you a couple couple more clues, a couple more breadcrumbs, and it it just kind of it's it's not beyond explanation. There, the mm-hmm. answers are there. It's not like you have to go you know after a David Lynch film and be like, I have no idea what that was symbolic of, and, <laughs> and there's no way you would have thought of it. But here's mm-hmm. some theories. The answers are all in the movie if you're paying close enough attention. Yeah, and it's that cusp of understanding that he kind of keeps the audience on throughout the film it's an amazingly hard balance to get right i think that made it a much more rewarding experience yeah it, i mean it is it's it's so rewatchable for that same reason too though right. like but the movie does even even if you're not getting every little piece in like you said you're in, so intrigued to like what is going to happen next in this movie and it just builds beautifully to the end and yeah, I I'd have to agree with you um there. That is it, it is really some masterful screenwriting and editing and Absolutely. Um, it's it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess there were some uh kind of new perspectives that I brought to it with a second viewing. <laughs> yeah, I've only seen it twice. It's Loser. Yeah. <laughs> I'll I'll I'm on a uh, every <laughs> every seven year every plan what is years. it every year yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll catch you in another seven <laughs> it's just how i viewed it more from the outsider's perspective how they how they view chris and jeff what do you mean say that explain that a little better the like, like co-workers family of chris and jeff oh, okay you know to them what is it, it looks like they're it just looks like these two are mentally unstable and they're capable yeah. of another mental breakdown at any moment mm-hmm. and so then I started thinking, is are the thief and the sampler, are they just metaphors for mental illness? Is this like mm-hmm. is this all just a, another like way of through the personal growth of the connection to nature and to religion and trans and transcendentalism. Ugh, transcendentalism. <laughs> is it instead of like personal recovery, is it about like re- or instead of growth, is it about recovery? Mm-hmm. So they're they're all bogged down in the mental illness and instead of just finding strength within themselves to improve themselves they're able to basically retain their former former 
former headspace and become in touch with their emotions and understand why these things are happening to them. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they, Chris especially, um, she, she needed an answer. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really interesting, though, that as I touched on earlier, the answer isn't necessarily the right one for her. Her closure comes through, well, her closure comes through Walden, her discovery of unlocking. I guess the movie isn't explicit about it, but you could argue she figured she through that process where um, she's diving for the rocks and grabs the flower underneath that she might have actually regained what she lost. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? I've never really thought about that till just now. The scenes that come between the pool and her confrontation, her, him, her tracking him down. Mm-hmm. There's still more scenes of that's post bathtub. That's yeah. She's she's more well, determined after, after that. that. She's more she's more interested in finding. It's a next step, but she's confident again. Yeah, and maybe that's what it's about too. Like she doesn't. She's not scared anymore. She's not. She doesn't feel lost anymore, and I like that it's not connected to Jeff necessarily. It, it's not like oh, I found, I found this ha- happiness again in another person. It's it it's her. That person helped her. Stability. But it's still, yeah, it's it's her still going through it on her own, I believe. And um, I think, yeah, go ahead. I think that just. I think that the sampler is more intrusive than than you believe. I think yeah. I think that they can sense the presence of, of the sampler and the poor conditions of their pig and mm-hmm. these and that's constantly has them in a state of depression with no stimulation and yeah. constant uh Yeah, they're just zoning out a lot and Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's just not being treated for and stimulated properly, I think, has them all. And this trauma that is coming from seemingly nowhere. Which is heart makes is, it everything. It's completely destroying their lives. You can't explain why you're feeling yeah. so bad. Again, I mean, mental a, illness. It's a very, it seems like an analog for depression there. Yeah. Good thoughts, Grant. You take this. <laughs> I don't think about this stuff. I'm always figuring out the, I'm always worrying about the, the nuts and bolts of it, not as much as the, I t- like I said, I touched. I always have. I've grown more and more connected to Chris's emotional arc, but um, yeah, those themes are definitely interesting, and I think we've shown there's some decent ground to that they're there too. And I wonder what it has to do with Caruth, who wrote the movie, and his struggles to make another film. Like we said, I think when did Primer come out? It was like late. 2009 uh-huh. or earlier than that here let me just check 2004 oh, geez. 2004 yeah so almost a decade it's crazy before he got to make another movie and and he felt i mean he was so beat like he did everything on his own because he couldn't trust anybody else which is also plays into this movie a little bit too yeah, you um, think guys the guy's got to have depression right yeah probably it's, it's, it's unfortunate yeah are um, you ready for my crazy theory yep all right Call me crazy. <laughs> like brand new feature we have on this podcast. <laughs> Call me crazy, but this movie could be in the John Wick universe. Okay. I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> Explain it. Okay. The thief. He asked Chris, do you have any money? 
do you have anything where I can make what what's his what's his gimmick? He's trying to get somebody out of trouble, right? Yes. Where does where does she take him? Do you remember? Where does she take yeah, him? Yeah, she takes him down to the basement, right? No, she's got like a closet with like a false floor where there are gold coins and a gun. Yeah. <laughs> you telling me she's not in the John Wick universe? Oh, let's see if she pops up in John Wick three. She will. Part what's that called? John Wick part three par- I don't know. I'm I don't gonna know see us. That's all that matters. <laughs> okay, I like that theory. And I'd love to see Chris Amy Simetz would fit right, right in. <laughs> she's gonna pop in there and no one's she, gonna understand why. She murders the shit out of that sampler. Got her on the path. He didn't stand it. She didn't. He didn't stand a chance. <laughs> he had no idea who he was fucking with. <laughs> I love that shot of her too, um, with the gun. Oh yeah, the look. The look is amazing. It's in the trailer too, and I remember seeing it in the trailer and just being like, ah. <laughs> a "Great trailers, by the way." The all I think he did like three trailers for these movies within like a week before it premiered at Sundance, and that also played very much into my hype game, <laughs> getting pumped for this movie. So how did did you just end up watching this at home? You didn't get to see this in theater. It was a movie night movie. Movie night movie. How'd that go over? <laughs> Ken loved it. Yeah, it was. Um, I believe Kent and I were the only ones that loved it, oh, okay. and everybody else hated it. I believe. Okay, sounds about right. Um, Amy actually, she saw this movie with me twice in like two months, because we went to the theater and saw it with some friends and my brother. And for her credit, I was just telling Grant off off air that. She recently saw 2001 for the first time and hated it with a deep passion of A Thousand Sons. And she actually can respect this movie, which um, I'm shocked by for how weird it is. I think the fact that it's only like an hour and a half helps. She's a big fan of pigs too, right? Big pig fan. Loves bacon. Um, Um, Almost as good as Babe. I don't know if we can really talk any more about... Well, we could talk plenty more about this movie, but I think we should probably wrap up this conversation. I got one more thought. Great. That's what I was going to ask for. Okay. You ready for it? Ready. How much money does the thief need? Yeah, I mean, fuck. He's, he's living in a lot. little house. Unless there's, like, multiple people running around doing this. No, he's just which, got neighborhood kids. <laughs> yeah, it was just him and a couple kids, I think. Like... Chris had to have cleared him enough money exactly. to live for a little while. Well, right? Jeff even like, more with the law firm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Jeff, it sounds like Jeff gave up thousands and thousands of dollars. Well, I was thinking more than thousands, man. Yeah. Yeah. The thief's greedy. Well, it's a, it's a critique of um, capitalism. Grant, obviously. <laughs> it, well, then they, he needs to be in a big house because he is not. <laughs> yeah, he looks like he, yeah, he wears like t-shirts that yeah he looks like he's trying like to 15 years straight yeah just trying to eke out a hundred dollars here and there but meanwhile <laughs> he's taking all everyone's life savings <laughs> excellent point thief stop abusing people but then we want to have a movie that's gonna do it for our first episode of the decades best podcast well that sounds very um full of ourselves i kind of like it though run with it yeah what our next movie will be in this, I don't know. It sounds like Grant and I are going to do The Lobster at some point. But I think I'm going to let Grant pick our next one and then maybe be something that I'm not as on board with. I see. So we can try to see what one of those episodes looks like as well. Okay. Um, do you know what movie that would be? What would you throw on my face right now? Um, Let's see. We were... 
How are you on 127 hours? I like it. Quite a bit. Quite a bit. Is it? Would you say it's in the uh, top 100 of the decade? I don't know. Okay. Well, then maybe... You can make a... It'd be a good one. Yeah. I think you could convince me to, of it. Awesome. Okay. So maybe we'll do that one next. But um, I also plan on bringing in the um, regular podcasting cohort folks to challenge them on movies as well. Uh, I plan on showing them some movies they haven't seen, and uh, I'm going to give them an opportunity or two to try to convince me of something that they might love. But um, yeah, until then, Grant, do you want to promote yourself on anything? Or? Just barely. At $5 Wrench on Twitter. Okay, that's Grant. You can find us at middleofrow.com. And you can find me wherever you can find at Zach Oldenburg. Until then, just remember, the best seats are in the middle of the row. Caruth, make another movie. Ha, 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 ha.